0: Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, you can find this on page 88 in the New Testament portion. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hearing the name George Wallace might bring to mind the Alabama governor, who was a self-proclaimed segregationist and the proud descendant of slave owners. George Wallace was such a fierce opponent of civil rights that in his 1963 inaugural address, he infamously proclaimed, Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. In 1965, Martin Luther King Jr. called Wallace perhaps the most dangerous racist in America. Hearing the name Shirley Chisholm might bring to mind the first black woman to serve in Congress, representing her district in Brooklyn, New York. Her nickname was Fighting Shirley, and her 1968 campaign slogan was Unbought and Unbossed. She fought tirelessly for civil rights, women's rights, and the need to combat inner-city poverty. George Wallace and Shirley Chisholm were two politicians about as far apart ideologically as politicians can be, and yet in 1972 both Wallace and Chisholm entered the primary as Democrats to make a run for the presidency. They were enemies on opposite ends of their party's spectrum, and each was fiercely criticized by supporters of the other. So imagine for a moment, if late one night under the cover of darkness, Shirley Chisholm and George Wallace held a clandestine meeting, one that even their closest advisors knew nothing about in an attempt to better understand each other's positions. Imagine if they sought each other out to have a real conversation. This thought experiment might help us understand what was at stake for Nicodemus, a respected religious leader in his Jewish community, when he came to visit Jesus under cover of night. Now, it's early on in Jesus' ministry, but Jesus is already the target of fierce criticism He confuses the crowds with parables that don't make a whole lot of sense. He shares meals with the kinds of folks respectable people wouldn't be caught dead with. He heals without regard to established rules about for whom and when and where healings should take place. As a result, he spends most of his ministry fielding criticism from both his allies and his enemies. Now, given all the criticism Jesus is facing, Nicodemus is savvy enough to know it's better if he is not seen having a serious conversation with this teacher that has caused such a stir. But his desire to better understand Jesus compels him to pay Jesus a visit under the cover of darkness in hopes that a face-to-face encounter might give him some insight into who Jesus is. Although Nicodemus opens their conversation with a statement and not a question, we know you have come from God, he says. Still, it's clear that what Nicodemus is really looking for are answers. Bridget Parkhill's mother moved to a nursing facility outside of Seattle last November after having surgery. Because the nursing home is now at the center of that state's coronavirus outbreak, Bridget and the rest of her family can now only communicate with her mother remotely. Last week, she got permission to bring a care package to the facility, but she had to bring it to a specific entrance where a staff member would take it from her and then give it to her mother. When the staff member came out, Bridget said, would it be okay if I just walk around the outside of the building to my mother's room? Even if I could just look in the window and see her, I would feel so much better. The staff worker said she could do that, so she walked around until she found the window to her mother's room. She looked inside. She saw her mother sitting there and looking well. They made eye contact. They smiled at one another. They waved. Bridget left with no more answers than she had before her visit, but she felt immensely relieved. Nicodemus doesn't get any clear answers when he visits Jesus. In fact, Jesus seems to be intentionally ambiguous here. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above, he says, To add to the confusion, that little phrase translated from above has multiple meanings in Greek. It could mean born from above. It could also mean born again. And that's what seems to confuse Nicodemus. Is Jesus really suggesting that in order for us to know God, we have to literally go through the process of birth again? Now, this isn't the only thing Jesus says that is confusing. We, of course, have the benefit of hindsight and can interpret Jesus' words about being born of water and the Spirit through the lens of baptism, which we understand as a kind of rebirth. In baptism, we are reborn because baptism reorients our identity. In baptism, we proclaim that we are first and foremost children of God and members of the human family. But poor Nicodemus. It's hard to imagine that he didn't leave that shadowy encounter with Jesus feeling even more in the dark than when he came to visit in the dead of night. And yet, Nicodemus' appearances in the rest of John's gospel suggest that this visit might just have been life changing for him. Nicodemus appears two more times in John's Gospel, once when he steps in to defend Jesus during a heated argument between Jesus and some of the religious leaders, and again near the end when he helps another of Jesus' followers bury Jesus' body after he is crucified. In spite of the ambiguity and mystery Of the concepts Jesus and Nicodemus discussed that night, Nicodemus left transformed by their visit, reborn, not just by the unpredictable power of the Holy Spirit, but because Nicodemus was willing to meet Jesus face to face, to try to understand better this man who challenged everything he had ever known to be true. In this encounter, we discover that faith is a dynamic process, not a one-time decision or event. And this is especially true in John's mysterious gospel. As one John scholar says, we tend to talk about our faith or having faith, assuming it's a done deal, that believing is as simple as acquiring faith. But the gospel of John never refers to faith as a noun. Faith is not a possession, not something one gets, not something one has, it's something one does. Believing, for the characters in the fourth gospel, is a verb. And as a verb, believing is subject to all the ambiguity, the uncertainty, and the indecisiveness of being human. We need to ask more often than we are willing to admit, how can these things be? To ask that question means we might just have to follow Nicodemus's example of visiting with those we do not understand. Back to the 1972 presidential primary the one where the Democratic candidates included the segregationist George Wallace from Alabama and the progressive from New York, Shirley Chisholm. Wallace's campaign was going strong, and he was polling well when it all came to a halt on May 15, 1972. On that day, at a campaign event, Wallace was shot five times in the abdomen and chest. Remarkably, he survived, but he was paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life. As his daughter later said, this man, who literally wore out the soles of his shoes on a monthly basis because he was always on the move, would have only one pair of shoes for the rest of his life. The journey ahead of him, she said, was a journey he could no longer walk alone. He would have to be saved by someone else. But this tragedy wasn't the most remarkable thing about the 1972 Democratic primary, What was most remarkable is that when George Wallace was shot, Shirley Chisholm suspended her campaign so that she could go and visit him in the hospital. Wallace's family and advisors received this news with surprise and some consternation, a mild reaction compared with the shock and horror many of Chisholm's supporters expressed when they heard her plans. When Chisholm sat at Wallace's bedside, he asked her, what are your people going to say about you coming here? She replied, I know what they're gonna say, but I wouldn't want what happened to you to happen to anyone. Wallace's daughter later recalled that her father was overwhelmed by Chisholm's visit, by her willingness to face the negative consequences of her decision to come and see him, something he admitted he had never done for anyone. When challenged by her supporters, Chisholm said, sometimes we have to remember we are all human beings, and I might just be able to teach him something, to help him regain his humanity, to make him open his eyes to see something he hasn't seen. We always have to be optimistic that people can change, that you can change, that one act of kindness can make all the difference in the world. Shirley Chisholm's visit to George Wallace began a process of transformation no one could have foreseen. It took time, but over the next seven years, George Wallace changed his views of segregation and race, his views of humanity. He took responsibility for the ways he contributed to the pain of black Americans. He publicly renounced racism, and he asked black leaders for their forgiveness. As governor, he appointed a record number of black Americans to state positions and even crowned the first black homecoming queen at the University of Alabama. All because Shirley Chisholm paid George Wallace a visit. At the end of this visit with Nicodemus, John records Jesus saying what has been called the whole gospel in one verse, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that those who believe in him may not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, God so loved the world that God came to visit In Jesus, God's love became human and visited with us. In real time, face to face, walking and talking and making us think and feel and question and grow. Not so that we could believe once and for all in some complicated theological doctrine, but so that we could embark on a journey with the God we meet in Jesus The one who does not condemn, but invites. The one who does not give up, but keeps calling all of us to join him on this journey of faith, a journey of thinking and feeling and questioning and growing and being transformed. A journey of birth and rebirth, of death and new life. A journey on which true change is not only possible but probable, again and again and again. A journey on which such change almost always begins, with the courage to visit with someone we don't understand and ask, how can this be? Amen.